The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy our podcast might work this week. week. It definitely appears to be working. Uh, so this is inside baseball stuff for us, uh, not you, the listener. Uh, Dan and I have tried to record a podcast the last two weeks. Last week, we actually did record a podcast, um, but unfortunately, my new computer decided that only I was recording the podcast. Yes, at some point, after Syracuse rebounds and goes to the Final Four this year for no reason, we will release the lost episode of just <laughs> just John. Just slipping into madness, talking to myself for an hour. It was, uh, was a delight. Yes, it, clearly I'm the Tyler Durden of this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, um, this probably wasn't the best week to start recording again, um, because Syracuse decided that playing basketball is now an optional activity for the Syracuse basketball team. Yeah, um, remember when we were, like, blowing out teams that would usually be by, like, 20, by, like, 50, and everything would seem great? Um, that was fun, two weeks ago. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that part of the season. I, uh... I would very much like to go back to it um, in some way, shape, or form. It it, uh, it was a blast. I uh, I liked I liked winning. I liked scoring. Um, admittedly, uh, and and this is like I had like a weird kind of thought, and I think others might have too. Like during the Monmouth game, where I just kind of started thinking, like, hey, this was fine, but not as fine as the other games why not? And like, you know, you never want to extrapolate like a one game thing. Um, and then lo and behold, the South Carolina game showed up and then things were decidedly not fine. And then they got less fine against Wisconsin. Then they got decidedly less fine against North Florida, even if we didn't see it yet. And then, and then everything happened against UConn or didn't happen against UConn really. Um, and now I don't really know what to think. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week, or, or you did, into the void, and I <laughs> responded without without a voice. Um, how, like, South Carolina and Wisconsin, obviously we were very concerned last week as well, but I, I said that South Carolina and Wisconsin kind of represented two different ways to beat Syracuse, and it, like, kind of exposed two different weaknesses where South, South Carolina played really aggressive, like, Pittsburgh-style defense and one on defense, and then Wisconsin just ran a clinic on how to beat the zone and like taken separately. I was like, okay, well not every team's going to be able to be as physical as South Carolina and not every team's gonna, and obviously we're playing at the Cole center and not every team is going to like most teams as we found out, you know, as we find out every year, can't run the type of offense that Wisconsin ran against uh, Syracuse, like in terms of ball movement and getting the ball to the high post and, and having a guy like Nigel Hayes there. So like I was, I was not, I didn't feel good after those two games, but you could see like why those happened. 
and then obviously the Wisconsin team was done out of hand, and and the South Carolina game was like not that big of a blowout until the free throws. Um, and North Florida was of concern because North Florida is like a nice team, but not a team that should be hanging in. And, and that team wasn't as close as the six point margin, but still, UConn's just bad. And I'm not saying that as like someone who wants to knock UConn even after they beat us, like as a rival. Yeah, UConn's not a good team. They're they're they they have two they have three wins this year or. Uh, what, what do they have now? Four wins, maybe. Yeah. Um, all are by single digits, except for Shamanad, which doesn't really count. Um, and the other opponents are Loyola Marymount and uh, Boston University, and now Syracuse. And UConn is a problem, like a troubled roster. They've lost a bunch of guys to the season for, with injury. Like the makeup of the roster isn't right. They're four and four. Um, they've lost to Northeastern and Wagner and uh, Oklahoma State, and then Oregon like an Oregon team that wasn't even firing on all cylinders. So that's really concerning. And that's not because it's like UConn. I mean, that doesn't help. The fact that UConn doesn't help at all. But just a team that has struggled as much as UConn going in, playing with Syracuse the whole game, aside from a little bit of the stretch in the second half where it looked like we were pulling away, and then just making all the right plays down the stretch where Syracuse looked totally disheveled. Um, so now I think it's, it's very worrisome um, because Syracuse is in a, in a, is in a position where it needs to really put together uh, an impressive ACC run to have the type of resume it needs to uh, be very safe for a tournament bid. Now, obviously, the ACC, on, on the flip side, presents you with a lot of opportunities to do so, uh, which is nice, but there's not another marquee game left in the non-conference. There's Georgetown, who's uh, who knows what they are. like They're up and down like crazy. There's St. John's, who's terrible again. Um, there's the same BU team that lost to UConn by the same margin we did. Like That's not a great win either way. And then Eastern Michigan and Cornell. So after that, it's the ACC. And you know, there are plenty of games to pick up big wins, but none of them are guaranteed. And if Syracuse plays like it has the last two weeks, I mean, it doesn't look like a team that's going to go win 12 ACC games. No, it, it definitely doesn't. And, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of started addressing this in the Tuesday post I wrote that, you know, Tournaments or hopes are fine for now, and, and, and they are, but it doesn't mean that all the realities that you just put forth, um, you know, aren't, aren't there either. Um, Syracuse has a lot of things that they need to fix, uh, most importantly shooting. Um, I, I don't think anyone should take, you know, UConn's 52-point out, uh, output and, and some of the lower scoring um, we saw from Wisconsin and South Carolina as as a reason to think the defensive end's fine either. Um, that said, um, again, th- th- there's a lot of things that can still go right, but the problem is, you know, uh, there now there's things that have to go right. Um, I-, I think last year the difference was, you know, despite losses to Georgetown and, and St. John's in particular, um, you know, Things went right against UConn and Texas A&M, um, and, and, and to a lesser extent, St. Bonaventure, uh, who ended up being a bubble team and, and, and a quality win. Um, I think this year, you know, w- without any quality victories to really hang our hats on at all, uh, we're now looking at uh, the real uh, possibility that, you know, and, and, and I mentioned those three, those you know, six games that we needed to win. I think it was, what? North Carolina. I think it was both games against Louisville, North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, um, and then Notre Dame. And it said, out of those six, if we win three, we're in. 
Um, and, and I think that still holds true today, to be honest. Um, but again, like now, it's not like last year where we picked up a nice win over Notre Dame, a nice win over Duke, and we were in because of that. Um, that some close losses and the uh, and the non-conference wins. Now, um, with, without any quality non-conference wins, uh, we have zero margin for error in non-conference. We have to win out. Uh, we have to go into, into league play with a 10-3 record. And then from there, you know, again, we need to win at least three of those six games I spelled out. Um, and on top of that, we need to win almost all of the other games. Um, and, and that's, again, against a very difficult ACC and one that you and I talked about at length a couple of weeks back um, that could have 10 to 12, you know, tournament-type teams. And, and we have to... And we have to beat a lot of them if we want to be one of those. Right. It's just the, the it makes the math really hard. And obviously, if Syracuse and there's obviously a path where Syracuse finds itself in the next couple of weeks, they have a Hall of Fame coach, um, which is a nice thing to have in this situation. Um, and they can write the ship. I mean, look at Wisconsin last year. Obviously, they beat Syracuse, but they. Uh, when, after the whole everything went down with Bo Ryan, like they were not looking, they were kind of in a similar position as as Syracuse. Now they they had you know a nice win at the dome, but like they didn't look like a lock to make the tournament or anything. And they had a, a you know the Big Ten to deal with, and they ended up going on a run. Yeah, um, everything started nine and nine. Right. So there's definitely like uh, heating up at the end. Like it's not as important as it used to be. Like they they used to tell like the last ten games or whatever a lot more than they do now. But there is something to say for like catching fire and looking like one of the sixty-four best teams at the end of the season versus like what you did in, in November. So I, I guess I'd rather be losing games now than than in, in February or March. But it, it puts the crunch on, especially because we know that at some point in the ACC we're probably going to lose like three games in a row because that happens every year. Um, it, it makes that a much trickier thing to to tiptoe. But Luckily, there are you know a full three plus months of this season left, so um, it definitely is too early to like totally panic. But I don't think like a little bit of panic is total is unwarranted based on how poorly the last two weeks have gone. No, completely. The, the, there, there's an absolute balance between the two, um, you know, w- ways of viewing things, and I think you know Syracuse fans and, and, and you and I are both two of those. Um, are, are very good at only seeing one of those sides of the coin, uh, and that is the, you know, burn everything to the ground, we're screwed um, w- way of seeing things. Um, again, I, I know that I can be one of those at times. Uh, you, to a lesser extent, can be too. Um, I think as a group, though, we all need to kind of, um, you know, just put that, put everything aside that, that we've seen in the last two weeks and, and, and view the next game and then the game after that and the game after that as a fresh start uh, for, for Syracuse to really get its ball chances. Oh, sorry. Whole nother football, a whole nother season, a whole nother sport. Uh, get its NCAA tournament chances together. Uh, ball chances are dead uh, as much as I wish they weren't. Syracuse basketball is totally going to the Camellia Bowl this year. That's fine. <laughs> to play... Arkansas State. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, uh, luckily we're not having this this breakdown in February, like I said. It's just, it's disheartening and losing to a rival, uh, a rival who's having a bad season, and I have no real reason to think that this has been, like, right there, ship. Um, definitely doesn't make uh, things better a, at all. I mean, like, I'd almost feel better about it if it did, but, like... Well, yeah, it would help us. But I don't want to like, have to root for UConn. 
No, I, I, I'm not rooting for UConn actively. I guess, like, if it comes down to it, and then there's like, oh, if UConn wins the AAC, it'll really help Syracuse. Like, I guess I'll grip my teeth, but, like, I'm much happier to root for South Carolina and Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have I have nothing against or for either of those teams. So I guess for now, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just play the game of, go both of them and hope that, you know, one of the other teams we beat maybe goes on a run. I don't really know. If Assuming that we beat the next five, assuming that we beat the next five, Dan, who's the, who's the team out of our assumed 10-win non-conference schedule that, that you think goes on a run? Um, and also keeping in mind that we don't really want to and won't root for Georgetown in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it has to be Georgetown, right? Like, I mean, I don't know what he, what what Rob Murphy's club looks like. Obviously, they're the ones that will will most you know actively root for. Um, but I just think Georgetown like should have the most talent out of that group. And and Georgetown's weird; they're not like outwardly bad like UConn was. They beat Oregon. Obviously, Oregon was not at full steam yet. Um, they lost by one to Maryland. Uh, they were they lost about the same as we did to Wisconsin, and they got blown out by Oklahoma State. Um, so like they've had some like weird up and downs. Uh, I, I would struggle to think that they're not the most the highest upside team. Um, you know, EMU's been kind of competitive in the MAC in recent years. They only lost by three to Pitt to start the year. Um, yeah, there is similar five and three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they lost to Pitt by three. They got blown out by SMU. They lost to IUPUI. But they beat Detroit. I don't know if Detroit's any good this year. They beat some B two team. That has yeah. an R and a C in their name. Let's, oh, Rochester College. Perfect. And you only beat them by 15. I am no longer encouraged. <laughs> Is that Rochester? I'm done, I've never heard of Rochester College as a New York school, so I'm going to assume that's Minnesota. Sure. Let's, let's that's go. where the other Rochester is, right? Yeah. They're actually one of the biggest cities in Minnesota. Yeah, I knew that. It is in... It, <laughs> we're both wrong. It is a, a suburb of Detroit, Rochester Hills. Yeah, that uh, that's fine. Great, <laughs> so, so encouraging. Uh, awesome. And then they clearly have a good zone offense. But yeah, admittedly, I, I think that the reason, and not a lot of other people are, are talking about this, the North Florida game really started to get me worried. And like, if, if I'm going to embrace worry, I'm I'm not going to embrace it because of the three losses. I'm going to embrace it because of that one win. Um, North Florida was absolute trash. Going into that game, um, they had not really beaten anyone of note. Um, I mean, you look at what they did. Again, like, two of their wins were against D2 teams. They beat North Dakota by one. Like, that's the resume. And, and that's for a team that was potentially going to, to win, you know, the Atlantic Sun again. And, and I certainly don't see it. Um, you know, based on that resume, but again, like them testing us is, is still a pretty big black eye. It's not good. I'm less concerned with that game because like they're a totally three point reliant team and they were totally blanking shots in the first half and then they got crazy hot. Um, and it probably was a little artificially close at the end, but that's still a team that we should be beating by more than six points. Like even if it was more like a 12 point game, if you like broke down the numbers, um, 
it definitely was an encouraging performance. Right. But that one bothers me less than, like, the losses, I think. I'm still going to stick to my gut. That's fair. Because I'm, yeah. I mean, yes, they beat both D2 teams handily, but again, they beat two D2 teams and they had three wins. That is fair. I can't argue with that. So, I, I guess, Dan, you know, where do you want to go from here? Should we talk about the good in the UConn game? Because to me, there was only one good thing, and again, it's something I wrote about on Tuesday. Um, Duan Coleman laid like a man on fire, 10 points, 16 boards. Um, he got kind of chippy with a lot of the guys in the UConn team. He got chippy with the refs. Um, seemed like he even got chippy with some of his teammates who really weren't bringing it in the paint. Um, yeah, Coleman was the, uh, the total package and the only player you could really say that about, um, against the Huskies and the only guy to really bring it, um, at MSG while it seemed like a lot of those guys, uh, you know, kind of shied away from the bright lights. Yeah. And he, well, he played well against, uh, Wisconsin too. Like that was kind of like a foreshadow, a forebearer of the UConn name where he was what, 12 and 14 or something crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bayheim, you know, and I, again, this is Starting back to a lot of the, the piece I wrote on Tuesday, it was just a quick thing because we needed something on the site and nobody wanted to talk about the game. Um, was the, the fact that, you know, since he was kind of called out against South Carolina, um, what he had 14 points, 12 points, and, and, and 10 points. And in this game, not only did he score in double digits, but this was the first game that he really kind of, you know, mixed it up on the boards and, and, and kind of picked up the slack for a lot of other guys, uh, Tyler Roberson in particular. Uh, Roberson actually rebounded, uh, not literally, but, you know, kind of figured things out in terms of, uh, you know, uh, scoring. I mean, not completely, but he, he did put up six. That was something that was better than most. Um, yeah, again, you know, Coleman really did show up. And, you know, I know Brent Axe kind of tweeted the other day about how no one's really uh, – Oh, Syracuse has really not done much at the Garden of late um, and, and at Barclays, too. Um, and I think, you know, and this isn't really, like, you know, quantifiable, but even though, you know, the Johnny Flynn teams kind of struggled at times, Dante Green team, like, a lot of the teams, Devendorf were on, kind of struggled at times, the one thing that they understood, even if it wasn't beating elite opponents or racking up a lot of, you know, high regular season win totals, they understood the moment, and they understood, um, you know, j- just had to play uh, with, with, with all eyes on you. And I think, you know, those teams, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like those teams just had ridiculously good resumes uh, at the Garden in particular, and it was something that obviously uh, did a lot of good for them um, given, you know, the, the high-pressure situations that they needed to be in in order to get themselves to the postseason every year. Yeah, it definitely seems like in the last couple of years, and obviously losing to Saint, a bad St. John's and a, what appears to be a bad UConn team doesn't help, but uh, I'm losing Darden like every single year since I've graduated, um, which means maybe I should stop going to games at the Darden. But um, yeah, it, it, like back when I was in school and you know we had the six overtime game, we had that whole tournament run, we had uh, the following, you know, we always, won a game or two in the tournament. We went to the finals a couple times. Um, we had wins over like Michigan State at the Darden. We had wins over uh, UNC, um, Washington, Cal. Like we had some some really nice 
uh, victories. I actually don't know about Washington. I think I was missing that in Calop. Um, and yeah, the last couple years. Do we play Washington my couple years? I don't think, I don't know if we did. This is, yeah, you know what? I think this is going to be an article today and for us tomorrow, um, trying to help the, the listeners out. But yeah, this, uh, this is definitely gonna, gonna give me some research to do tonight. And it's tough to like totally expound on it because it's it's you know usually one game a year. Um, back when the Big East days it was like two or three, so it's tough to like really say oh the Darden is is you know now a trouble spot when there's you know you're overhauling the roster every year. Oh, I think but, we're talking about the roster itself and maybe tying that success to a couple players. And again, I'm talking Flynn, you know, Devendorf in particular, um, maybe a couple other guys versus you know maybe pulling. Pulling, again, like some of the guys in the current roster, dating back to maybe when Cooney started. And, and you could probably, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not real research, and, and it certainly wouldn't be, you know, admissible as a scientific study. But at the same time, you could at least start to look at some trends, even if they're not scientifically significant. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know that we'd find any, like, uh, any quantifiable data to say it, but it definitely, like, the feeling is that we, we haven't performed as well on the mid-stage. And that this is saying, like, the, the regular season mid-stage, obviously the team made a Final Four run last year after not performing well on the small stage all year. So, right. um, and they had a win at Cameron, which is, last year was so weird. <laughs> the weirdest. Yes. You know what, and I think no matter what happens <laughs> this year, we're going to find out that last year um, it is absolutely um, you know, the, the weirdest I'd actually say the last two full seasons of Syracuse basketball and, you know, TBD on this year have been the two weirdest um, in the history of the program. They have, I mean, obviously we don't have like the full frame of reference, but like we know what happened in those other years. And like 96 was supposed to be like kind of fluky because that wasn't a great team um, top to bottom. But but it it doesn't sound like anything like. I I just think fluky and weird are just so different from each other. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it, it just seems like that team got hot and had some talent and had a great player. Like last year, last year the team like had no business. You know, they snuck into the tournament. We defended, and I think rightfully we defended their inclusion in the tournament because they thought they had a, a high ceiling. But then for them to actually kick it into gear like that was like just so bizarre. Right, and then yeah, you you know you look at the the Rakeem Christmas team, and literally it was just Rakeem Christmas and and I guess Trevor Cooney at times. And maybe some touches of NJ. Like that. That was a really weird team. It was the, you know, physically the worst team under Beheim. Um, and yet, it, it's just, it, yeah. There was just too much weird in the last couple of years. That I, I I'm hoping that this year doesn't. Because I think you know three is a trend. And, and if this year also goes toward weird, and it very well could. I think we're a little less confident about our footing going forward with or without Beheim. Yeah, it's a strange thing because Beheim, um, obviously he's had peaks and valleys, but like his tenure is very consistent. Like the 21 years, the joint of the tournament most years. Like, you know, he has Final Fours every every decade or so. Obviously, we've had two in the last couple of years. Um, and for, for there to be such high variance on a year-to-year basis and a game-to-game basis in the last two or three years... Um, it is strange because it doesn't feel like that was it was that way before. Like if a team wasn't great, you kind of knew where they stood on a game to game basis. Like last year's team 
could go out and beat literally anyone or could lose to anyone by 25 and look like they didn't belong on the same court. This year's team is truly to tell because we haven't really stepped up the way that last year's team would against a good opponent. But we also, um, you know, I think we have enough faith to say that, like, at our best, we should be able to play with those teams. So we hope that we hope right now that this team is as uh, as high ceiling as that team ended up being. Oh, entirely. And, and you know what? I, I do think that this is, you know, th- th- this team is good enough. I mean, it, it, it's tough to it's tough to extrapolate the results against a team like Holy Cross or a team like Colgate or whatever. But you know, l- l- like you said, you know, in the first couple minutes of the of the podcast here, like games that we usually win by twenty, we were winning by forty, and and, and like that's the key here to me is that. What what has happened between the South Carolina State game and the rest of the season so far to change what this team is capable of? Not not in terms of like like you know long long range what they're capable of, but what like change what they're capable of in in terms of just a you know on the floor in the game. Like th- there has to be something here. That that's just completely missing, and it could be a mental thing, it could be a physical thing, whatever it is. Something's gone awry. Um, we, when you look at a team that was able to put up 90 on Holy Cross, was able to put on up 101 against South Carolina State. I mean, these are still Division One programs. Um, we're the only team that put up 101 against South Carolina State. Like, we're the only. South Carolina was the only team to even come close. Yeah, and it's uh, we weren't we we hadn't scored 100 points in years. Like it wasn't like we've been doing this every year. It's it this team looked like offensively it had the dynamite to I mean just bury a team like that. Where in years past, you know, we'd win by 30, but it'd be 70 to 40. It wouldn't be 100 and what 101 to 49 or whatever it ended up being 101 to 59. So. Um, obviously that doesn't translate directly, but then to put up a, a total, like not be able to find the basket, have, you know, set seven threes rim out against UConn who, you know, they play good defense, but it, they're not a particularly like, I don't remember reading a lot of stuff heading into the inbound. Like UConn just can't find it on offense, but defensively they're great. Like this wasn't a stalwart defensive team. Maybe they turned it on for a game because it's a rivalry and whatnot, but uh, it doesn't seem to add up. Like it seems like something should at least stale and nothing about what the team did in the first uh, however many games this year, four games staled up to what we, you know, saw we've seen in the last four. Completely. And yet, not to, like, jump back in time, but also, like, you know, Holy Cross, and I mentioned them, too, with, with South Carolina point for a reason. Same deal with them. I mean, their schedule hasn't been as tough as um, South Carolina State's has been, but, I mean, you, you look at them, too, it's the same deal. You know, we scored 90 against them. The next best was South Carolina. And then after that, there's a pretty steep drop-off for their opponents. Um, well, actually, there's an 80 for Monmouth, too. But they pulled off 77 against them. Point is, they're not a bad defensive team, and we were able to drop 90 on them pretty easily. And I think coasting through most of the fourth quarter against them. No, sorry, fourth quarter. Second half against them, if not most of it. I'm also watching the Knicks game and wondering why. Um, at the moment, so that's why my mind is kind of in the NBA. But um, fact of the matter is that Syracuse has been able to put up a lot of points against not terrible defensive teams, or at least not god awful defensive teams. We've made them look god awful. So I guess that's kind of the takeaway here: is that they're 
something else is wrong and I I can't put my finger on it. Um, it, it can't just be, you know, shooters going cold. There's, there's something else afoot. And I'm not saying nefariously, I'm just saying in general, something else is going on that's causing um, a lot more issues than just your basic teams that are rough patch. Yeah, I w- I'm going to say the one thing that gives me a little bit of like confidence is that Bay- I haven't watched like all of the press conferences. Bayham doesn't seem that concerned. No. Which is like great. he's he's frustrated with like individual players and obviously like buried Roberson the one day and he buried Coleman and Coleman has turned into like the last I was in terms of the numbers before we were talking about him in the last three games uh his per her, his per forty numbers are like seventeen and eleven which is pretty nuts um, considering like he hadn't even come close to like anything and then last game he was actually ten and sixteen and then before that fifteen and six and twelve and three and you know and he's actually playing more minutes like he played thirty against Wisconsin twenty nine North Florida twenty eight UConn so um. Yeah, so whatever motivation Bayheim had there worked as he's, like, turned it on, and I, this is probably the best three-game stretch of his career. Um, so the fact that Bayheim isn't, like, freaking out, obviously it's, it's hard, probably hard to make a 40-year veteran freak out, but, like, you could tell in years past where Bayheim was kind of exasperated by a team, and he really doesn't seem to even be that. So maybe he knows something that we don't. I mean, he probably knows something that we don't because he's around the team every day, um, and he's, you know, again, a Hall of Famer. Uh, so that gives me like a little bit of confidence that you know maybe things are being worked on and tweaked and sorted out. Yeah, I, I'd say that the, those are all fair points, and, and then that is like the one one thing that I'm kind of latching myself to. And if if there are folks who are, who are really kind of panicking much more than the two of us are, um, if you can take solace in anything, yeah, it has to be that. Right? You know, Bayheim's not somebody who sugarcoats when you know. Things go wrong. I'd say some of the. I think most of the best coaches are those who don't sugarcoat when things go wrong. But Beheim being one of the best, um, he's he's not really getting all that heated about the lo- like the large scale health of the team. I mean, sure, he's he's definitely called out some players and and, and issues. I mean, you saw Coleman. Coleman's reacted really well. Uh, Roberson. It's too early to tell. Um, how he's going to react. I think he looked better um, against UConn, um, but I think he's just kind of, I mean, he's a guy who, what, every single year, you know, Roberson's had a doghouse moment. And I, I, I think the, uh, you know, the Paul, ha- the Paul Harris Memorial doghouse might need to be renamed at this point. Yeah, because Paul Harris did never got bet, like, he didn't lose a starting job. They always send my Coptons to go tr- track him down in Niagara Falls. Like, if Roberson <laughs> ran back to, to New Jersey, I don't know that Bayheim would send Hopkins after him. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> I think you just tell him, I don't know, send your brother. Like, like yeah, I, I don't think, I honestly don't think he'd care, which is, like, which is bad because, like, I like Roberson. I mean, we've joked about it. Uh, Down in Dakota's joked about it. Like, we don't really know anything about Roberson. But he is so same, mysterious. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I like the guy. Like I'm, I'm appreciative of what he's done versus Duke in particular. I yeah, we need him for the Duke game. I think if, if Duke was like tomorrow, Beheim would would book a private jet. Yeah. Um, it's just everything else, and and you know he we just don't know personally like much about him at all. And Donna wrote that really good piece about him. So I'm not totally like I think Roberson. Will, this isn't like new territory. Like Roberson's been enigmatic and uh, on the court, off the court, he's anything but. He's very consistently. A, a non-factor um but like 
Roberson being inconsistent and like totally disappearing for stretches of the season is nothing, nothing new. I wish it wasn't the case in his final year, but I, that's just the guy he is, I guess. Indeed, indeed. Um, and that brings us to halftime, Dan. So, uh, what have you been drinking? But we don't have to backtrack unless you absolutely want to. Um, I know you had probably one of your bigger drinking weeks since the show started, and you beat me for once in, in terms of, like, different new stuff. So if you if you want to you wanna jump back into what you talked about last week, feel free to. Um, the only ones I'll touch on from last week, because I hadn't talked about them on the podcast before, um, the two things from Treehouse, from which I had over Thanksgiving week, uh, Julius, which I really liked in green, which I liked a, a good amount. Um, I hadn't had anything from Treehouse. Apparently, they're pretty well known in for the Massachusetts area. They are. And that was all. That was all fantastic. Uh, this week, I had another fairly big drinking week. I went to uh, the fourth anniversary party for Single Cut, uh, one of my favorite breweries up in Astoria, which I talk about a decent amount. Had a lot of their new stuff on tap. Um, a lot that I hadn't had. They're, uh, they have their Kinky Boots of Lead, which is one of the more interesting beers I've ever tasted. It is, I think they describe it as a, uh, let me find how they, a sour stout. Like, it's weird. It like They like openly were like, yeah, this is a weird beer. Um, worth tasting. I don't know that I'd want to drink like a lot of it, but it was, it was super interesting. Hadn't had anything tasted like that before. I had their Chrissy uh, Dosa-style lager, uh, which was delicious. Um, their sour stuff has been, like, really good, and they're more of, like, an IPA place. Uh, their Michelle, um, which uh, didn't take good notes on, that's their, yeah, that's another sour of theirs, uh, also really good, super drinkable. Um, and then, uh, probably the best one, or one of the better ones I had, uh, their Weird and Gilly, uh, which I believe was uh, one of their IPAs, which is really what their signature is, um, just really solid, a uh, lot of flavor. Uh, and then last, no, two nights ago before the UConn game, um, was at John Brown Smokehouse in Long Island City, which uh, has one of the better beer selections I've found in the city. Had uh, the White Oak uh, High Ally from Sidar City, which I had not had. The, the High Ally is obviously great. The White Oak is might be better. Um, has I've heard this, like, amazing vanilla. things about White Oak, and I, yeah, I've never had the it's, able to try it. It's awesome. It has like this really nice, like vanilla-y, um, smoky aroma-ness, but nothing like, but it's still, you know, very much like the high ally finish. It's, it's awesome. Like, I think it's definitively better than the regular one, which is a high bar, because high is awesome as well. So, um, I haven't seen it canned anywhere around here. If I do, I'll, I'll try to grab some and maybe I can just, uh, ship it out to you. But, um, I've seen it on, on tap a few different places and I finally tried it, uh, when I was at John Brown and man, it was, it was a good decision. Does White Oak get canned? Yeah, because I actually had it from... They had cans at the bar. Wow. Um, hmm. But I haven't no. seen it in stores. So I will look. I'll stay on the lookout for it. Because I, I see it... I see regular Hialeah a pretty fair amount around here now. Yeah, I gotta... You know, I know that they've... The distro has obviously increased since uh, Oscar Blues bought them. Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, Oscar Blues doing the Lord's work. Uh, protecting them from an AB InBev buyout. Oscar Blues is all over the place now. Yeah, I mean they're they're in all fifty states now, and I know they're uh, they're in a couple other countries too. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell my brother to take a look too, just because North Carolina is a little bit closer. They might uh, they might get some stuff. I know I see uh, Iowa down there anytime I'm there, so maybe White Oak gets some wider distro in North Carolina. It's a little bit closer to Tampa. I think they have a don't they have a brewery in North Carolina? Oscar Blues does, yes. So that might yeah. help. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, for me, uh, I will backtrack on a couple things here and there. They're nothing crazy. 
Um, had a uh, Kiss the Sky from Monkish, Barrel Age Sour, uh, Raspberry and Boysenberry were in there. Um, had Beachwood Amalgamator, one of my favorite IPAs. Um, beyond that, had uh, Share This uh, Mole from the brewery. Uh, they had the Share This series where they uh, try to give proceeds to a variety of charities. Share This Mole was kind of uh, a mole-inspired imperial stout. I thought they did a nice job with it. Had a uh, Chat and Crafted, uh, it's a newer brewery down in Orange County, uh, over in Orange. Uh, had Personal Growth, their, uh, their most recent pale ale, uh, really, really good. Uh, one of my favorite pale ales to date, to be honest. Um, had uh, Carbox uh, BBH with white ch- with uh, chocolate. Um, Carbox one of the better breweries down in Texas. Uh, BBH is their uh, bourbon barrel aged uh, Hellraiser or Hellfighter. Hellfighter, sorry. Uh, Texas uh, beer drinkers are probably wanting to kill me at the moment. Uh, that one was very enjoyable. Also had uh, Orgeon Blanc uh, from Brewery Tarot line. Uh, was uh, I want to say Chardonnay grapes aged in French oak barrels, maybe American oak barrels. In any case, uh, a very good sour on their end, not too harsh by any means. Uh, new uh, brewery here in L.A., uh, Celador Ales, uh, over in uh, North Hills. They're a uh, blendery, so they have a lot of cool stuff going on. They're going to be opening their doors officially um, sometime in the early part of 2017, but uh, they started bottling. Uh, one of theirs is uh, Palimpsest, and it's actually one of my favorite beers of the year. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, it's not going to leave L.A. anytime soon, so unfortunately, nothing to get doing for, uh, for most of the listeners. Um, and then was it Hop Saint last night? I mentioned them a couple times. They're about a mile from here, so I try to stop over there every once in a while. Um, I had their Haze Denied IPA and their Pure Intention Pale Ale, which I've had a couple times before. So yeah. Good drinking, and uh, should be another good weekend of it uh, in the next couple of days. Very nice. Hopefully, uh, everyone gets to hear, hear, hear all of ours this time, since we had a, a nice a nice grouping of them. I, I have a decent amount of faith this time around. I uh, I have not taken my eyes off of the uh, the Amulto, which is our call recording software uh, dashboard, the entire time, and I've been seeing spikes. In terms of audio, uh, when both of us speak this time, so yeah, I, uh, I have some, I have a decent amount of faith. Great, cool, cool. Um, you know what, Dan? I don't want to talk about Syracuse basketball anymore. It's depressing. Uh, and we actually talked about a decent amount. So, time to do the favorite thing that we usually do that our listeners hate, which is talk about non-Syracuse stuff. Do we know that they hate it, or do we just assume they do? <laughs> I'm going to assume they do. Knowing, knowing what I know about the comment sections of articles that veer away from Syracuse stuff, um, it's either A, completely empty, or B, um, angry, more often than not. Um, when I talk about the NBA in particular, it's super angry. That's fair, so maybe... Maybe no one ever hears this section. Maybe the I wish we could see like the the, the times. Drop I'm off. gonna I'm gonna look through Block Talk and see if there's like a yeah to see if there's like a clear like demarcation line. 
but, but this is why, I mean, this is at least why I started, when we do go off topic, started putting it in the second half. So that if you love Syracuse and beer, you have a, you have like a kind of turnoff time. Yes, the, the, the beer and bullshit portion. Yeah. All right, well, time, time to tune out. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for the first 25 minutes, John. Yeah. Yeah. Got the beer, time for the bullshit. Uh, no, we are, we are well past 25. We're at 38 right now. Oh, look at us. Time flies. It does. Um, all right. So, as everyone knows, Dan and I are very interested in the things that go on in college football outside of Syracuse, uh, in part because of, you know, work obligations, in other part just because if you're a Syracuse fan, usually you're going to start finding things to talk about and watch and think about um, outside of Syracuse, New York, and the team. They've done a lot of losing of late, uh, but that should end next fall. Anyway. Um, college football playoff rankings were released the final time um, in 2016 on Sunday. And the top four is uh, pretty much what Dan and I were talking about last week when none of you heard it. Um, Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Ohio State 3, and Washington 4. Dan, I'm not really too broken up about that list. I'm very happy to see Penn State out. I know you are as well. Uh, Your initial thoughts... Um, when you saw these kind of unveiled on uh, early on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I, I was fine with it. I, I think you could make an argument for Penn State if you want, and you could make an argument. It really depends. We talked last week about like the, the resume versus, or the, the deserving versus the best. Um, I still think that Michigan was probably one of the four best teams, but I think Washington is definitely in the discussion, and I have no problem with them being in. They're more than deserving based on what they accomplished, uh, aside from like a week straight of schedule. But what can you do? Um, Pac-12 was, had plenty of good teams and, and they beat um, all but one of them. Um, so yeah, I'm fine with it. I think it should be an exciting, uh, hopefully more exciting than last year's first round. Um, I think Clemson, Ohio state is a super intriguing matchup, especially being a rematch of that bowl game a couple of years ago where Clemson just smoked Ohio state. I'm sure, uh, I don't know if any of the Buckeyes on this team might, maybe the refreshment that year. Um, but I'm sure that the, uh, the coaching staff will, will have no problem building up, uh, you know, some some revenge type stuff from that. Um, I'm hoping Washington keeps it close with Alabama. I kind of think they can, but I do too. To be honest, I forgot if it was Godfrey or Bill Connolly that said this. I know it was an article that might have been on a podcast as well. I think they talked about it on their podcast last yeah. week. Yeah, the, well, well, like Chris Peterson is one of the best around in terms of like. I mean, granted, Nick Saban is the best. Period, but. Like, Peterson is one of the best around in terms of, like, if you give him a month to prep his team, he's going to do it really well. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, you know, that, that's kind of where they've thrived. I mean, you look at Boise State and what they've been able to do in bowl games, um, and especially the biggest bowl games. I mean, arguably the best, one of the best five college football games ever, uh, 2007 Fiesta Bowl. Um you look at what Boise State was able to do to a heavily favored Oklahoma team. Um, that's just one instance of many. I, I don't think Washington's going to win. I think Bama is one of the at this point one of the best teams ever, um, and they're probably going to you know put an exclamation point on that come January. But yeah, I, I think Washington can hang around for for a bit longer than most of Bama's opponents, and not all of Bama's opponents this year. Um, I just think Washington, while they might not be physically ready for it and, you know, kind of channeling Bud Elliott a little bit, 
the recruiting numbers definitely don't back up them being able to hang with Bama. But at the same time, you see the players at the skill positions. You see the players, you know, especially, um, yeah, I think especially the skill positions. I think that while they're their offensive line might not be able to hang with Bama's defensive front, which is probably going to be the difference here. Um, but on the other side, I do think that, that, uh, that Washington's front seven can at, at least test Bama's offensive line a little bit better than than, uh, than what they've seen thus far um, in the 13 games the Tide have played to this point. Yeah, I think Washington definitely has one of the best assemblages of, of offensive still talent that Alabama will have seen. I mean, John Ross and and uh, what's Pettis' first name? Uh, Can't say that I know right now, but I will look Dante, it up. Dante Pettis. There you go. Um, yeah, I was going to say Austin. I'm like, that's definitely not right. He played <laughs> for other places. Um, you know, there. I mean, that's an amazing one-two combo. Um Browning obviously has had a great year, albeit a pretty rough Pac-12 championship, but it's a nice Colorado secondary. And Alabama secondary is so good. Um, it's not, I think it's almost kind of buried because the front seven is absurd. Um, and you have like, I wrote today, I did a mock draft, and, and honestly, I think uh, it's, yeah. Is there a better, like just in terms, not like Heisman or stats or anything, is there a better college football player in the country than uh, Jonathan Allen? I, I don't know that I think there is. I don't think there is, and that's what's really stupid about, and we're not going to get into this, but really stupid about the Jibril Peppers invite. Peppers is really good. I don't even think Peppers is the most important player in Michigan's defense, and that's not going to be a knock. I think Jordan Lewis is like one of the three best cornerbacks in the country, and I think he totally erases that side of the field. Peppers is great. He's a unique talent. He does a lot of awesome stuff. I think he'll be a great NFL player. Um, I think... I think there should be more defensive players talked about for the Heisman, and I think the Peppers hype train is just so crazy, and that's kind of what it takes. Like, Manti Teo a couple years ago was, what, the runner-up in the Heisman? Manti Teo wasn't the best linebacker on his team. Right. <laughs> like, and, and that's the thing. The, the, the Teo thing was entirely geared by the what ended up being fake story, the fact that Notre Dame was undefeated, and the fact that people just can't help themselves whenever Notre Dame is in a title contention situation, which, to be honest, isn't all that often lately. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that now Peppers, especially when you look at what happened the last probably four or five games, like Michigan didn't perform the same way in the last four or five games uh, as they did in the, the early parts of the season. Peppers didn't either. Um, again, I said we weren't talking about this and now we are, but yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't overly impressed with Peppers efforts toward the end of the season. Um, especially as it relates to being one of the five best players in college football. And that's one of many reasons why the Heisman Trophy is trash. Yeah, it's like, it's too easy. You can get a defensive player to the Heisman ceremony, but you need to drum up the narrative so hard that it, like, overshadows, like, actual good play. Like, I think the last defensive player who actually got there on merit was Sue, and Sue probably was the best player in the country that year, and he probably should have won. Um, but, like, Teo was a really good player, um, wasn't the best player on his own defense. You know, he's turned into a nice, decent NFL linebacker. Like, Peppers, I think, he's better than Teo was. Yeah. Peppers, I think, is a very good player. I think he's going to be a deserving, like, top 15 draft pick. I don't know that he... He might be the best NFL prospect on the defense, but I don't think he's the best player on Michigan's defense. He might be, like, third. Taco Charlton's really good, too. Um, So, like, yeah, I think Jonathan Allen should be in in New York this year. He's the best player on the best team in college football. 
and because he's an interior lineman and doesn't put up huge numbers, and all he does is, you know, eat up three blockers on occasion and frees up things for Tim Williams to go get a sack, like, every five plays, um, he doesn't not have the recognition. Like, so, I mean, if I had Heisman vote, I think I'd, I don't know if I'd vote for Allen. I think I'd probably vote for Lamar Jackson, just as his, like, he was so crazy through, like, the first ten weeks, and I don't think that one or two bad games down the stretch dismantle, like, what was an awesome season that came against, like, his two of his best games teams Tim against the two best teams on the schedule. So like the whole he struggled in Kentucky thing is stupid when he dominated in Clemson and Florida State. And it's not as if um, that was just his fault. No, the team the team fell apart. Yeah, Louisville completely fell apart because again, like not to ch- channel Bud Elliott too much, but recruiting. Yeah, they weren't as talented across the board, and eventually that you know doesn't. I mean, they're more talented than Kentucky, but Kentucky. That their problem hasn't really been talent the last couple of years. It's that Kentucky just does didn't you know have it, and this year they kind of shorted up at the end and and got a big emotional win. Um, so I think I'd vote for Jackson. Um, I think I'd number two. I think I put Allen because Allen's been unbelievable. Like, and I've watched probably every Alabama game this year, and Allen is is a force. And it's not like he hasn't had some moments. Like he had the what the fumble return for against A and M. He like he for an interior lineman. I think he has five or six sacks. Like he does everything. He's an absolute monster. So. Um, yeah, for Washington, I think we were talking about the playoffs to start all this, uh, for Washington to, uh, deal with him and then also deal with Ruben Foster and Tim Williams and then try to throw on Micah Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey. That's a lot. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I guess to wrap up the Heisman conversation before we veer towards some other bowls, there are a lot of fun ones this year. Um, Dan... If you had to, and, and again, had to is the keyword here, name five players that deserve to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy, which is a terrible award, but we're still going to use it for what it should be, which is the best player in college football. Who would be the five you would send to New York? Um, hmm. Lamar Jackson, Jonathan Allen. Um, I think... I might send Dalvin Cook. Oh, I would definitely send Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Um, ooh, I have to think a little more about this. This is this is tough. Uh, I would honestly like if I'm sending for someone from Washington, it might be John Ross. Yeah. He's been ridiculous. And then um, I don't think I'd send Watson. Like Watson hasn't been that great. No. Um, Again, he's had, you know, he's, he steps up, he, he plays well in big spots, but it's not like he's been, you know, otherworldly across the board. No, it's a career. Uh, I think, I think, I think D.D. Westbrook's fine. I think I like D.D. Westbrook being there. Yeah, I, I buy it. Okay, so, so was that four or was that five? I had, I had Jackson, Allen, Ross, Westbrook, um, so and, I guess I have one more. And Cook? Oh, and Cook, yeah. I think Cook's good. I'm probably missing someone, but I also didn't do like a full evaluation of everyone here. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I like those five off the top of my head. All right. Uh, in my book, I'm going Jackson and Allen and Cook, so same first three. Um, Westbrook's probably there, too, as much as I, like, again, like, Abed Atawa should have been a Bolitnikov finalist is a whole nother conversation but it doesn't mean that he was good enough to be at the Heisman final I, I do like having a player from every position when it warrants it and I just feel like despite Baker Mayfield's 
like success this year and despite like what we saw you know from a variety of other quarterbacks like there I think Lamar Jackson kind of stood above and beyond and if you, if you couldn't even be in the same conversation with another player in your position that probably means you didn't deserve to be in New York um that eliminates Mayfield that eliminates um Deshaun Watson um so I'd say Westbrook is probably my fourth, which eliminates all the other wide receivers in all likelihood. And then fifth, Foreman? Foreman's good. Foreman had not that much help. Um, that's yeah, a nice... Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, Foreman, it, Foreman's the, the, the conversation around, like, okay, we all know, like, for the most part, the Heisman winner rarely comes from a team that is one, has lost you know, more than three games, and, and even then, three games is, is really kind of the, like, the absolute, absolute top uh, of that conversation. Uh, and the most recent, you know, example being uh, Robert Griffin III, Baylor. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to go Foreman, just because I feel like, I, I feel like the conversation running back-wise is actually a, a spirited one, and, and in that, because of that, I think you need to put both of the players who get the most spirited conversation about them. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think May. I think for me, Mayfield would be in my next five, and I think uh, who, who else do you have? I think Foreman would definitely be my next five as well. So there's a uh, there's a lot of options. I actually enjoyed this. I I, I enjoy the Heisman thing a little more this year because I think it's it's pretty. I think Jackson is a clear number one, especially if we're going by like the classic Heisman Heisman. You know how they go about voting for it, but I think. Beyond that, like he's, it's pretty wide open. There were a lot of really good players across the board this year. Oh, 100%. All right. So I guess wrapping up, we still got about we got seven or eight minutes. Um, I'll give you a sec to pull up the list of bowls. And maybe give me the three bowls, non-playoff edition, that, that you are most excited about. Okay, I am pulling up the list of bowls. Um, so I can that tell can you... include the New Year's Six, but like not the playoff game. Okay, um, let me do a cursory run through here. Um, off the top of my head, one of the first ones that pops into my mind is uh, the Las Vegas Bowl between Houston and San Diego State. Oh yeah, um, Clash of awesome game. Clash of Styles. There's a there's a kind of like G five championship feel here because admittedly the two of them are probably like the best run programs like over the last five to seven years in the G5. Yeah. They, they feel like, I mean, San Diego State has gotten no hype this year for what they've done. Um, it's a schedule of garbage. Yeah. And that's coming but, from someone who watches every San Diego State game for the most part because of the ties of man laws. Yeah. If they had played like, imagine if they had played like USC in week two or something. Or even they what play the USC. schedule they played the last couple of years where they played North yeah. Carolina, they played Ohio State. Like, the Mountain West is the Mountain West had all the hype in the world like two years ago, and then they just squandered all of it. Yeah, um, because so that actually be a the fun Mountain one. West has gotten worse somehow. For sure, um, I think uh, that's one of them. I think, and I'm I'm not all the way through the list, so I might end up naming more than three. But uh, Western Kentucky, Memphis, I think some of the shine is up because Brom is gone. Uh, which is a great hire by Purdue, by the way. Yeah, um, perfect hire. But that game, like, should be in the like the fifties or the sixties. Uh, that should be a blast. Um, and the obvious one that that immediately jumped out to me before I even pulled up the list 
was LSU Louisville uh, in the Citrus Bowl. Oh, yeah. Um, got Coach O, first game as full-time head coach, versus Lamar Jackson, who will probably be the Heisman winner by that point. Well, he either will or won't, but I'm assuming he's still like minus 4,000 in Vegas, so I think he'll, I think he's going to be the Heisman winner. Um, and then the only other one that I could probably sub in maybe for Western Kentucky, I think Penn State USC should be a really fun one. Yeah, I buy that. Penn State, like, obviously we don't like them, but I think Penn State's a, like, a legitimately good team and a team that's been getting better, and USC is obviously, like, the team that's been getting better, so I'm really excited to see that one out in the Rose Bowl. It's going to be, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun game. I wish I was going this year, to be honest. Um, okay, before I get to my three favorite, three games that I will not watch, and I almost guarantee you're with me on all three. Um, number one, Baylor versus Boise State. Ooh, I kind of want to watch for Shade for uh, and Freud and reasons. I mean, Boise's going to win by 40. Minimum. Can we do like two minutes on the Matt Rule hire and about how weird it is? Yeah, go for it. Matt Rule hire is really weird. <laughs> like the weirdest, and, and like the seven-year guarantee? Like, because, I mean, I... If the Big 12 doesn't do it, because Baylor's not doing it. If the Big 12 doesn't do it, the NCAA is going to. Like sometime in the next three years, like Baylor's getting hit with like a two-year minimum postseason ban. Maybe. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I don't hate it for either side. I think Rule's a really good coach. I and get coach why I thought they were getting. Yeah, like, I think that's a really nice hire for them in terms of just coaching, like, with all else removed, like, all things equal. Because um, Dunn did a big job anyway, like, the fact, and, and for whatever reason, this just wasn't a good job cycle. The fact that P.J. Fleck might end up at Western Michigan again next year is kind of crazy, but, like, they're just, for all, like, the big jobs that, that did open, like, it just wasn't that many. Um, so good for him. I mean, he's going to get paid. Uh, he's going to have, like, all the time in the world, I think, and I think at least based on that seven years. Now, the fans, I bet, will start it pretty antsy if things don't get turned around quickly. Um, but they're not going but, to. Next year is going to be trash. The year after that's going to be trash because next year is so much trash. The recruiting, the recruiting, recruiting is really problematic. They're going to end up signing, like, a 14-person class this year. Maybe they have one kid committed right now who says he's going to stay. Um, they got totally wiped out recruiting-wise. Uh, who he gets, you know, who he hires as his assistants is going to tell the story here because he needs because he doesn't have any Texas ties. He needs an entirely Texas based staff. Yeah, at least like five of those guys need to have like dyed in the wool Texas roots, um, which but there's like, plenty how, of. But how are they going to do it now? Because they're not going to run. Because you figure they're they're going to run a pro style. Uh, be, it seems like they're going to run pro style. And, like, you're going to be the think. only Texas program pretty much running a pro-style offense. You would think that, and maybe they almost see that as an inefficiency, although that's a weird thing to think, considering Baylor's entire, like, identity is built on the Bryles offense. And I don't know that you can run the Bryles offense now, uh, unless you keep... You're not keeping Kendall Bryles, there's no way. Any, you can't keep any of those You guys. can't keep any of them. Um, I don't know, maybe they try and go poach Sterling Gilbert. Uh, maybe they... I mean, not really poach, he's available, I think, right? Like, he's not anywhere. Um, like it's that. tough. Well, he he got fired. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, the right. whole staff got wiped out. Um, at Texas, he was Charlie Strong's OC, uh, formerly of Tulsa. Um, so maybe they try to go in that direction. Uh, T- Temple, like his first couple years at Temple, the, the non the the rebuilding ish years, like he ran more of a spread. So I don't think he's married to one offense. Um, and maybe he's told Baylor what they wanted to hear in terms of that. But it would be kind of interesting if Texas is now going. Uh, you know, after taking Gilbert on and then now doing Tom Herman, which is, you know, not the Browse offense, but still up-tempo spread. Um, and then Baylor ends up being the pro-style team. Well, it's a power uh, so that'd spread. be funny. See, I see 
Yeah, I, that's the thing. Like I, I see, I see Herman as closer to Babers in terms of like power spread. And like Babers is really kind of like not completely power spread, but I would put him further into that conversation than I would like the five wide leech, you know, school of thought. They're actually closer to the the other big hire uh, of the day, uh, Willie Taggart, who is joined Oregon, right. which is a fit. Another like at, at first glance, I thought that was a really weird fit. But uh, as I thought about it more, like. Oregon's offense, while it was like this Chip Kelly thing for a long time, it's t- it also kind of adapted and, and, and changed like over the years. I almost think I actually kind of like that hire a lot. Um, the more I think about it, I think he could do a really good job there. Yeah, I buy it. All right, I'm not totally sold. Neither one's an obvious hire, and the rule one especially because of the no Texas ties, which is like no Oregon ties doesn't really matter. No, um, not at all. Oregon's built nationally. Uh, but I'm interested. They're like two of the more interesting fits. I think they both are proven coaches. I think they're they they could work out really well. Um, but they're coaches I'm, who can't bring their current staffs, which always concerns me because you're basically doing you're pulling a Schaefer, and that's just to have a point of reference for the five people left listening at this point. But it's just to say that if you have to start from scratch, and especially if you don't have any geographic ties, I'm very skeptical right off the bat. Yeah, so I think they're very intriguing moves. Um, but definitely not obvious ones. So it'll be interesting to track those programs. I will say, like, I have no problem. Obviously, Baylor is still kind of a cesspool, but like, at least Matt Rule is a guy you could support. Like, it, by all accounts, being in the Northeast, like Matt Rule has a very, very good reputation. Uh, I highly doubt he keeps anyone from that staff. Um, so they did do what they needed to do in terms of like getting a guy who is completely distant from the Bryles like clusterfuck. Right? He is totally got distant from that. So that's good. Indeed. Um, okay. So, because we're almost done on time, um, I'll say my other two games that I, if I am watching, it's solely to laugh. Uh, okay, one game I'm not watching at all, Boston College, Maryland. Oh, and I, no. And I know you feel the same way, and I feel like <laughs> that, 99% of the country feels the same as well. I already closed the list of, t- of games. That's probably the least likely. I, I Without looking at like the other 38 games or whatever. That's probably the least likely game I am to like. I'll probably end up watching some of it, just as I always watch all these games. But nah, you can pay me. I, Ugh, that game's going to be awful. Well, the problem with that quick lane bowl, too, is that it's always going to be this, even if it involves us. Like, like, I mean, if it involves us, at least it'll be watchable from an offensive standpoint. But, like, it's always going to be these, like, teams that nobody outside of the fan bases has any goddamn interest in. So that's a problem long term. And Um, it's in Detroit, so you're not going to get anyone there. And to be honest, like, I mean, as much as we love the pinstripe, like, from a joking standpoint like pinstripe same deal like big 10 and acc are always going to gear the same three or four teams over there right all right and the last game that i had no interest in watching oh and, and this is again a universal one for everybody uh iowa florida Damn. It took till hour and two minutes in before my phone decided to rebel <laughs> against me. <laughs> I mean, at least, um, at least it had the courtesy of waiting this time. Iowa, Florida, yeah, that's not a great matchup. Florida's just, they're tough to watch, man. Like, they're, at least the first, like, quarter of the SEC championship was super weird, which was kind of fun. But, like, at no point did I think Florida was about to hang in with Alabama. Um, their offense is dreadful to watch. Iowa's isn't, like, the worst thing ever, but they're not, like, super exciting. Yeah, that's not a great. That's not nearly as bad as Maryland, uh, BC, but 
like I'm not going to be jumping off my couch to watch uh, the Dators and the Hawkeyes. Yeah. All right. And then to close the podcast, um, you hit on most of the games that, that I was thinking in terms of watchability. Uh, Penn State USC is going to be a fun one. Louisville LSU is going to be a fun one. Um, the other games that I will definitely be watching, and then we'll kind of close it there. Um, BYU Wyoming seems interesting. Uh, Colorado State Idaho seems interesting, and Eastern Michigan and Old Dominion. All of those games seem super interesting, and I will be watching that uh, in part or almost definitely in whole. Um, Eastern Michigan Old ODU is the Bahamas Bowl, right? Yes. Yeah, the Bahamas Bowl is 2-0 and in terms of, and in its history of being batshit crazy. So yes, I will be watching the Bahamas Bowl. <laughs> and, and those two teams, just like it automatically, it just reads batshit crazy. Two teams EMU, have been their there. first bowl in like 20-something years, maybe 30 years. Like, yeah, I'm in. I'm 29. so in. And ODU, is that ODU's first bowl as a FBS? It is. Yeah, I'm so in. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 this just seems like this is going to be a fun as hell game. I uh, actually, God damn it, I can't even watch this game. I'm going to be on a plane during this goddamn game. Uh, and, not on, and I'm not on JetBlue or anything, so it's not like I can watch it on TV. I, lo- I love the, and I know it's totally legitimate disappointment that you have to not be able to watch <laughs> Eastern Michigan play ODU. Like, I know, like, someone who's listening for the first time could probably read this as uh, totally, like, sarcasm. Not sarcasm. It is not. It is pure disappointment i'm definitely in the top five of like unaffiliated fans <laughs> like, of odu yeah yeah no like like just top five like unaffiliated fans who's like who is disappointed if they can't watch that game like oh 100 i i saw that matchup and the first thing i'm like here for this like every <laughs> everything about this game this just is right in my wheelhouse in terms of my college football fandom and that just pisses me off that i'm gonna miss this entire game <laughs> Well, I will watch it. I will. I will think of you as I watch it, and make I, sure that I appreciate that. I'm I will send you DMs about how amazing <laughs> it is. I'm gonna miss I hope all it, of that. I hope it comes down to another ridiculous hook and ladder. Uh, shout out to the Chippewas. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna miss all of that. I'm gonna miss all of Louisiana Tech and Navy. Um, that's gonna be a fun one. I think Navy's a lot better, but that could be a fun one. Yeah, and I'm gonna miss the beginning of Ohio Troy. That could also be a of Troy. Like, Troy's pretty good. Troy, Troy, and Ohio is, like, good. salty. I think Troy is a, a decent amount better than Ohio. No, but Troy um, kind also, of like quit on the end of the season. Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's where the tough thing is with, these, with, the, with the small conference teams. Like, the coaching turnover often hits them really hard. And, you like, last year Bowling Green was awesome all year. And then Dino left, and they got trounced by Georgia Southern. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's hard to tell really what you have. But as long as, like, the full teams are intact, like, then you could get some pretty interesting ones. Um, also, Army Navy this weekend could be pretty fun. Last year was really fun. It's 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 been really fun for the last few years, to be honest. Like like th- those days of like Navy just blowing them out like from start to finish have kind of like gone by the wayside. Like even if Army just sucks lately, they've managed to show up for that. They still and Army doesn't suck. Army is pretty good this year, like by, by Army standards. Um, well, that's what happens when you schedule two FCS teams. Well, yeah, but they—I they, mean—they were like running like sixty points up on, on yeah. non-FCS teams. Like they're not great. Navy's going to be a prohibitive favorite. Um, I'm a as a member of a Navy family, I will have to root for Navy as I always do. Uh, but uh, last year, I was really happy to see Army like stick in it, and uh, I think there's a chance it's uh, fairly close to end this year. 
Oddly, while I was in a Navy family, we went to Army games growing up. So, I will be rooting for Army pretty hard. Um, yeah, I don't know why Syracuse hasn't been scheduling two FCS teams, especially now that there's 40 Bulls, because there's no way you're not making a bowl game anymore if you go 6-6 six and six with a two FCS schedule. You know, I didn't even think about that, because I remember how mad we were when they did that, and we thought we screwed ourselves over and ended up not, but like we, we got 7-5 and five that year. But It was when there was 35 total- Bulls. Yeah, you're kind of right. Like, <laughs> it's very hard to miss it at six, even at five and seven. Like, I know, I know you're. Well, you only have four counted then, I guess. But would it wait? Would would you only have the four counted, or would would that like not matter if you have four, five wins with two FCS? Would you still get like thrown in the APR pot? Uh, well, you'd be at the bottom of the APR pot. Like, the reason that the six and six with two FCS gets in is because like the tier is six, six wins, and six, yeah, six and yeah. six with one FCS max. Then six and six with two FCS, then five and seven with APR help. Yeah, so yeah, I think that's uh, that's something that we should consider, especially if it, the alternative is like scheduling like at an SEC team again. Even yeah, though we did win that, but still, no, let's just not do that. Anyway, uh, we've reached the end of a podcast that actually recorded at least. By every measure that I've looked at, and I will double check afterwards and cry if not. But uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. After all the technical difficulties. Yes. Hope everyone uh, enjoys this one tomorrow. Indeed. Or you enjoy listening to John speak into the ether <laughs> again. We, m- we might just have to post that if it <laughs> happened again. <laughs> I definitely would, to be honest. Uh, anyway. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for tuning in to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, um, anywhere else you might listen to us, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.